Welcome to Enscope, the healthcare security podcast. Each episode, we bring you interviews, technical tips, and a unique point of view on the challenges facing the ever-changing healthcare ecosystem. Here's your host, Mike Murray. And welcome to InScope this week. As always, I'm Mike Murray, and this week I'm joined by a really cool guest who I met many years ago in a different life. And now he is doing one of the most interesting jobs in security, as far as I'm concerned, and especially in healthcare security. So today we have with us Hugh Tower Pierce, the uh, chief security officer of Oscar Health, and formerly many different things. But I'll, I'll let Hugh talk about his background a little and uh, give everybody a bit of an introduction. So Hugh, welcome. Thank you, Mike. Great to be here. And thank you for having me on the program. It's an honor. It's really cool to, to see you again and to catch up and, and maybe tell the audience about you. Who is Hugh? Well, I, fundamentally, I'm a, I'm a husband and a dad. Professionally, I've been across a few different industries, uh, Oscar, uh, healthcare payer. We have some of our business focused on, a lot of our business focused on technology, our technology platform and the insurance side of the business. Before Oscar, I was in finance for a while. I worked at uh, Two Sigma Investments, another technology powerhouse. Fannie Mae, which was an interesting experience going through the housing crisis. I saw a lot of um, uh, information security related investigations and compliance related work. It's just a, a great growing experience being there through the, the various uh, adjustments in the industry. I spent some time uh, attached to Norwich University working for a consulting wing that was focused on the special operations community for the U.S. military. And then before that, in a few different places, doing uh, some IT support type work, which is essentially how I got my start. And then um, as, as that grew, I became more specialized and more interested in information security and forensics that kind of led into broadening that and eventually ending up with the honor of being at uh, Oscar as their CISO. And it's a really cool job. I mean, Oscar's grown incredibly fast over the last few years. And, and, and really the thing that, and I said this to you before we jumped on, the thing that I think is most interesting about your background is you didn't come from a healthcare background and you walked into Oscar and, you know, you come from finance and government and other things. How do you find healthcare as different and how is it not different? For any of the listeners who might be out there thinking, oh, I wonder what it's like to go work at a, at a technology-enabled healthcare insurance provider. Tell us what your experience has been. Did you have to learn anything? You know, did it challenge any of your assumptions? All of those sorts of things. <laughs> as, a, as I'm sure you know very well, our, our profession is in constant learning mode, trying to keep up with everything that changes the technology and business and, and regulations. And I think probably the, the regulatory area is of particular interest in, in terms of like the differences. It's an interesting question too. I've, I've um, been talking to some folks around like how to design security functions and selecting CISOs. That's a question that comes up often, I think, in trying to be successful in, in a company picking its uh, security leader, like what, what type of leader do they want, like the background. And one part of that is if the company is in a one industry vertical, should they be considering uh, professionals from other industry verticals? Like in, in my case, someone coming from finance and going into healthcare. And what does that mean in terms of being successful? And I think a lot of the learning that's required is, is involved in understanding the, the regulatory impact, like how you take, uh, understanding what the regulations say and then translating them into things you can execute on in, in the leadership position and, and with, um, in, in Oscar's case, building out a lot of the, uh, the programs that we have now, you know, and making sure they line up with those. Absolutely. And one of the things that, that I hear a lot when I'm talking to people about this sort of same topic is that 
the the workflows of of healthcare so being centered around the electronic health record and patient records sort of change a bit of the security strategy and and the opportunity right in in most places you don't have all of your crown jewels in one spot whereas in in most healthcare organizations the EHR is sort of the center of all of the stuff you'd want to steal I wonder, you know, does that does that change your thinking? Has that changed your thinking at all? Is that even is that even, you know, relevant, especially with as fast as you folks move in terms of building technology around it? You know, riff on that a little bit. I, I want to hear how your world is. Yeah, the, the way I guess the way I think about it with Oscar, we have a product that is an EHR ourselves. We also have uh, a large portion of our technology focused on the insurance uh, processing insurance claims and um, member care for the insurance business. So understanding, I, I think really the key is understanding where the data is and what how it shakes out in terms of category. You know, if you're talking about our members, that's a PHI. So understanding where the PHI lives, what systems that applies to both on the, on the front end, like applications that are, that's, it's being used for some sort of value add purpose for the member or for processing purposes. And then the back end as well. So you can have good controls around access and uh, privileged access, especially. And then also, you know, you have in, in a health insurance company like ours and any company you have um, employee information, which may not be PHI, but is certainly PII. And so that that also deserves uh, protection. And um, I think you have to understand the difference between those two because they come with different controls requirements, different reporting requirements, and then making sure that you, you're you taking like protected information, differentiating it from other types of business information. So intellectual property, because Oscar, as other companies, has uh, a set of information that is core to our business that's that's confidential, and then things that are, you know, internal. So our, our planning and um, all the way up to things that we publicly disclose. So like, again, I think it really matters like how you look at it in terms of categorization and then making sure that you understand for those categories where where that information is and what kind of um, protections and controls apply to it. And then after that, it's like, it's testing, you know, test, testing those controls, uh, constant improvement. You, you said something that makes me realize one of the things that, that I think is so interesting about you as a, as a security leader specifically, and I'd love to, to chat about it a little bit, is, is, you know, from the very first day I met you, it was clear you're a very technical guy and you understand the technology that you're building, but anybody who listens to you speak should take note of how well you understand the business of the company that you're in. And I, I, I've always thought that it's really incumbent on a security leader to understand the business. And I just, you know, it's something that, that came out right there that you just did. And I think I, I find often, far too often in our industry, there's not enough people who really get that. And I'd love to maybe, uh, how did you become so focused on, on understanding the business model? I appreciate the compliment, Mike, that, that you gave. I don't think of myself as the most technical person. Like I, I look at my, I look at my team and there's some amazing engineers in my team. And I, I think of them as being very much more technical than I am, that they, they just have some amazing capabilities, you know, that either I never had or I left behind a while ago. It's one of the things that makes us successful as a team. I think the key to being a successful security leader is understanding the business. In order to connect to the other leaders in the company, you have to be able to understand their pain points, understand where to plug in and their processes to add value. And then really, for your own sake, understand what it is that you're trying to protect as a security person. And I, I think that that's probably one of the things that is a focus area for people who are growing from you know an IC role or a management 
position and security into into the like the lead position in the company is really connecting with other business leaders. Um, I, I think you have you have that insight as well as I do, but um, I think that's that's the way I see it. You know, it's it's really it's really key to being successful in in a security leadership role. I completely agree. So, so how did you get that skill set, and and how do we give that skill set to everybody else? Like, what's the training that we that that we should go through for you know? How, and and maybe just the easiest way is how do you train the people beneath you to do that thing if they come from a very technical place? Yeah, I, I think asking asking yourself a fundamental question like why do I exist in the company? Like, what am I here to do? You know, like the security function in the company exists for for a set of reasons. Operating in our own silo or vacuum is not one of them. You know, we, I think we have to be connected to other parts of the business, and we have to add value. And we have to think about what the what the common objectives are at the end of the day across the business to make the company success or the organization successful. You know, and, and then think about what that means in terms of d- daily, monthly, quarterly behaviors, connecting with the other leaders, and making sure you understand what's coming. You know, being plugged. I think part part of that is being plugged into processes like planning processes, architectural processes, so that you know what's coming and you can be you can be ready for it. And giving advice early in a cycle rather than late. You know, where you might end up a, as a security person, end up in a in a gotcha situation where you're pointing out something that that people don't want to hear because they're so close to to production or release or or whatever the the term is for the process. Those are the things. And getting there, I think, is a matter of understanding that that's a that's a, a fundamental part of your job. Taking the technical base that you have as a security person or an, an engineer and bringing that with you as you move into these social connections and, and professional process connections that you have to make with other people in the company so that you connect, you end up being the glue as a security function spans not just the technology parts of the business, but also operational communications, you know, the strategic planning. Like you want you want to be as a as a leader, you want to be present in all those locations. This is something I have a fantastic boss now who's a who has a risk background. It's something we've been spending a lot of time talking about. I owe him some credit. I had a boss that had a risk background at one point. It was one of the most instructive couple of years experiences of my life because, you know, those folks can really help you think not just about security risk, but about the business risk as well. And yeah, I have a similar thing in my background and appreciated it very much. I think I'm a much better leader for it. So with that, we we were talking a little bit about, you know, how does the industry move forward from here? And I'd love to just sort of hear your riffs on that. You know, as we come out of COVID, as the world kind of comes back, I heard somebody the other day say that the healthcare industry has gone through eight years of digital transformation in 18 months. <laughs> and that's true for some and, and less true for others. But, you know, how, how do we as CISOs and as security leaders, you know, how do you see the role changing over the next few years? And how do you see the world changing as we come back that that's really going to affect our world, whether that's threat landscape, whether that's, you know, how we plan the business, like, Whatever your thoughts there are, but I feel like we're in a time of transition, and I'd love to hear what where you think we're going. Mm-hmm. We were talking just before we started recording about some recent recent events in the media that are interesting in in highlighting maybe the pitfalls. You know, we could we can look at it as uh, what are the constructive things and solutions going forward, and then like what what can we learn from kind of the pitfalls that we've we've all experienced as being in a security role in an organization. And at least for me, that's a that's an ongoing evolution in, in my thinking. But I, right, right now, my, my thinking is that 
companies and organizations need to associate the information security or the security function in general with a, a risk management function and, and need to understand what it is they're getting when they when they have a function in the company that does security and they have a leader for it. Like, what is it that they're expecting out of that? And how does that position integrate with the rest of the company? You know, which in itself ties back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago. I think that a lot of people in, in my kind of role find themselves with a lot of the responsibility for breaches when they occur, you know, or the decisions making up to the breach, but they haven't been empowered to make any changes to prevent those, you know, or um, they provided the information, risk risk related information, but that information wasn't turned into action by other other parts of the company. And I think we start talking about those things. I think it gets to the heart of risk management practices and how how organizations think about the role of security and and how to level the function, level, level the leader in particular, you know, because you see if you go out and look for security leadership positions in companies in terms of job positions, you see you see them all over the map. You know, you see some that are leveled as, as managers, mid to low level managers in terms of span of control, all the way up to people who are on the executive committee or leadership committee or whatever it's called in the, in the organization. And, and in each of those cases, I'm skeptical about whether there's been a lot of thought put into what that means, if it means that the organization is trying to accomplish a compliance objective by having the person in there, or if they're early, a very early stage company and they just, they need a set of engineering technical things to accomplish before they actually hire a leader into the position that will, you know, leader would come with, I think inherently come with some large amount of impact across the organization. And so the, the expectations, both, both for what the organization on the receiving end of a security function and leader gets, and also for the person who's in that role, trying to be successful in that role, I think is really important. And I think we miss that mark quite a bit. I've seen far too often that that decision isn't made as thoughtfully as you just proposed, but it's more based on, well, how much do I want to pay for a security person? Okay, this much? Well, I guess they have to be a director in our salary bands. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think people have any malintent there. You know, I think it's like the people are just trying to get things done. You know, like the people who are responsible for this, whether it's um, a CIO or CTO or whoever's a hiring manager, they have to get this done and they have a, a budget to work with. And, you know, I think those you add those two things up and you have somebody in the in the position and, you know, the, that that is marked off as being done and you move forward. And then at some point that catches up with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the other the the thing that I think is so interesting, you just brought up something in my head that is a little orthogonal, but at the same time related, is that all of those people got to where they are by making good decisions generally, right? You don't, you don't get to be the CIO or a CTO or a CEO of a company without having some track record of making good decisions that even when those people make decisions that may be somewhat questionable, there's probably, you know, it was probably not a terribly made decision at the time in the way that they were making it, to your point, like they were just trying to get a task done. But I've noticed that especially in our industry, very infrequently is there the kind of thought around exactly what you just said. What do I want my security function to do? And if you know that, you can hire the right team. And if you don't know that, you end up hiring either, like you said, either I hire a really senior person who I really just want to be an engineer, or I hire a really junior person and expect them to figure out really complicated business risk issues. And I think that I've seen too much of that in my career, and I, I, I hope that we can fix that. So an interesting thing that comes up from that, how do we teach the executives, the, the non-security executives, the people who are hiring those security executives to do this? How do we make them think about this the right way? 
I think right now we ask them to ask for help. I think there there are people who can help with that. There are some some of the recruiting firms that specialize in CISO placements are pretty good at helping flesh this out as part of the process, and that seems to have a lot of value from what I've seen. One of those firms has has placed me, so I, I got to see that process. I've also seen it in an advisory capacity as well. And one point you brought up there was who you hire, and, and a comment that I make is that, and I think this probably applies across disciplines, but that can be a moving target, and I think especially if that's in any any organization that doesn't have like a, a well established information security function that has some tenure behind it. And so mainly I'm speaking about, I think this, this is the case for Oscar, any company that's in any any part of the startup phase or recently startup, I think you're talking about hiring somebody who will be doing one set of things on day one, but you want that person and you want that team that, that they may, may be building to transform into something else you know, and, and maybe not too, not too far apart. It could be a matter of, you know, if, if you're talking about an IPO process, it could be a matter of like a year or two when they have to make a transition from, you know, across the board, really like building a function, building a team, and then also moving into a, a state of organizational existence that has a whole separate existence as a public company versus being a private company. So that involves, I think, some additional thought into the person that you hire on day one. Can that be can that be can can that person be the person you want to have in a year or two out you know or or is that not going to work and this happens in all phases of the startup right engineering leadership you know uh, finance leadership sales leadership the, the, those growth stages happen and can you communicate to those people if you had an early stage leader who now you need to bring in, um, you know, a leader that's a little that, that does different things, right? A, an organization scaling type leader, you know, does that person, does the original person understand that or do they feel like they got demoted, right? There's a lot of communication that has to be done to make that work well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You mentioned the IPO process, and I know you've gone through it. And, you know, obviously, there's a million rules about things you can and can't talk about. But as far as it goes, it was the first time I think you've gone through the IPO process as this as the chief security officer. For all those other chief security officers at all the startups out in the world who hope that they're you someday, is there anything that you want to impart as far as wisdom, like that you wish you had known about what you've gone through or that you wish you could have prepared for differently or just hang on tighter, whatever, whatever, uh, <laughs> yeah. whatever advice you have. I mean, you've lived a process that many people hope to live at some point. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I've been in pri- both private and public companies, but I haven't haven't gone through the the IPO process before. There are certainly people in my role who have gone through it a number of times. I think it can o- almost be a profession, like a, a routine to go through it. My experience, very generally, is that it, it was, um, you know, it, it, I think it's made me a better professional in the end. It's it, it it was it was very intense. We did it in a relatively short period of time, from what I understand to be a you know a typical preparation time. It involved an amazing amount of multidisciplinary coordination across the company. It really is a transformative event for just the preparation process and and who it involves and who participates in it. Maybe one of the areas that I really valued was how much the, the process and planning is a reminder of the importance of controls. You know, this is, I think this is something as security people, we always pay attention to very closely, but it's nice to have a regulatory grounded process that is very much focused on controls are important and getting that message out to across the company, you know, and, and it makes accomplishing some of the security objectives easier because there's that incentive, 
in the preparation process. So, you know, security was a priority before we were public, obviously, at Oscar and continues to be so. So not a lot changed for us, but it was just it was a great exercise in applying a fresh set of eyes with that lens of ensuring we had the right level of rigor for controls in place as we were thinking about operating as a, a public company, you know, from from our private background. So, Hugh, where can people find more of you? Are you speaking at any conferences, social media? You know, where if I want more Hugh Tower Pierce, where do I go? I love to connect with people on on LinkedIn. I'm doing a, a mentor program through one of my CISO colleagues who she, she set up a mentor program. Not very active in terms of social media, but I always I always love engaging with people. I, I like for conferences, I have been partial to the, the health ISAC. We're a health ISAC member. I was active in the financial services ISAC before that, and I think they're great, great organizations. Um, so that's kind of the conference, the conference set that I like. I, I went to Black Hat a couple of times. It's a good, good thing to go to um, Las Vegas. Las Vegas is tough for me for any extended period of time, Ma- mainly be, just because I like to run and <laughs> running in Las Vegas is, uh, is hard unless it's four or five in the morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially if you don't love the heat. Yeah, it, yeah. it can be, especially, especially August in Las Vegas, right? It's, it's not November in Las right, Vegas right. when it's actually a decent time to run, but yes. So Hugh, thank you again for coming on. This has been a blast, um, you know, learned a ton and I think it's been a really great conversation. Love to have you back in the future. Yeah. Thank you very much, Mike. Great to do this with you. I appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us for this episode of InScope. To make sure you never miss an episode, Hop on over to www.scopesecurity.com to sign up. Or you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher. And if you have ideas for topics, guests, or technical tips, please contact us at podcast at scopesecurity.com.